And welcome back to Energy Day here at the Global Supply Chain Week. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the executive publisher here at FreightWaves. And joining me right now for our next fireside chat is Ben Shattuck. He's a research director for Americas or the Americas region, oil and gas for Wood McKinsey. He's uh, been there about 10 years since he graduated uh, with his MBA from the University of Oklahoma and it was an IFP in, in Paris, France. How are you doing today, Ben? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, I think the weather has warmed back up in Houston. Uh, excited to be part of the, part of the conference uh, and happy to have a chat with you, Kevin. Yeah, let's start off in Houston. You're based in Houston right now, and Houston just went through a, a huge freeze, and uh, we were having this discussion a couple days before it airs, so you're just now coming out of it here um, here right now, right? Yeah, you know, we are. It, you know, it was primarily last week. Uh, the whole, I think it was the first time ever that, you know, every county in Texas was under a winter storm advisory. Uh, and temperatures plummeted, you know, far below uh, what we typically see in the state. And that, so that caused quite a bit of disruption, uh, obviously, in, in the field, you know, out of West Texas, you know, over a million and a half barrels a day offline at peak, a few hundred thousand barrels a day out of South Texas. Um, also, a few BCF a day of gas production uh, was impacted as well. You know, we, we saw all of that contribute to some of the power outages you know, which were felt by consumers, but also it was a bit of a circular reference then because, you know, you need that power to operate uh, things in the, in the oil and gas field. So that's being phased back on, you know, as we have this discussion. It's not necessarily always as simple as going out and turning a tap back on, like I said, that infrastructure, you know, not built for those temperatures. It can be built for those temperatures. We produce, you know, in North Dakota, it's frequently that cold. But, you know, when you don't insulate these things, you, you have equipment that cracks and breaks and you have to be able to get back out there and do the maintenance on that you have to be smart about how you bring that stuff back online producers in sort of the midst of doing that this week yeah uh later on today we're, we're going to talk to uh a group that, that handles you know petrochemicals in the refinery space and, and we'll get some more color uh, about those facilities which you know are not designed to to, to face you know freezing and, and zero degree weather over an extended period of time. Uh, your, your research and your coverage is America's mostly shell uh, plays and, and, and um, in production, new drilling. Can you give us uh, highlights of what exactly you cover there at Wood McKenzie? Yeah, you know, so, so speaking for myself, uh, I focus primarily onshore in the U.S. And so we follow very closely, uh, you know, all of the activity, but it's dominated, of course, by uh, tide oil and shale gas production. You know, there's been a renaissance. Uh, we are all quite well aware of that over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, oil production has grown, you know, from from 2 million barrels a day onshore to over 8 million, uh, 9 million barrels a day. Uh, and it was very much a positive story, uh, despite some price cycling through last through the last decade. Uh, the, you know, if we, if we talk about tide oil, it's at a bit of a pivotal point in time, I think, uh, at the moment, uh, you know, because we, we've shifted from it being a relatively new and exciting uh, and maybe not even that well understood technology. And we're sort of maturing into a phase where we understand the technology. Uh, we understand the impact that it has on price cycles. We understand uh, the impact that price cycles has on the technology. And at the same time, investors are 
changing what they're asking for these companies and reevaluating really whether or not they even think that these companies are investable uh, into the future. It's a really interesting time to have this discussion. It really is. You know, we talk about activity levels and and certainly, you know, the last 12 months, you have the pandemic, you have COVID, you have gasoline sales and, and usage down here in the States. But, you know, this downward uh, trajectory of, of oil prices and production and investability uh, started uh, a couple of years before that. And we're still in the middle of that cycle. So in a historic context, where does production activities and uh, company investment CapEx stand right now? Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit muted at the moment, and you're absolutely right. There was a there was a pullback in terms of what was expected of these companies for years. It, you know, like any industry, the companies do really what big investors and shareholders ask for. And so over the you know over the last decade, it, it, that those targets shifted. You know, from the amount of land that a company had to the size of the wells it was drilling, and then ultimately. Uh, for a long period of time, it was how quickly these companies could grow. And the idea behind that was that sometime towards the end of the decade, there would be a, a harvesting of cash flow. Well, in many ways, these companies were so successful at growing production that they produced so much that it had an impact on global oil market. And so prices fell, as we know, and that made it harder to, to generate that cash flow. Uh, in, until finally investors got a little bit fed up with it. And so cash flow is now priority number one. So activity was already pulling back. Uh, and then 2020 happens. And, you know, so, so the rig count is, you know, West Texas, 50% of what it would have been a year ago today, uh, although up by probably, you know, 60, 70% from the lows in Q3 of last year. So, the, you know, the rig count is recovering. We don't expect it to recover to where it was at this point last year in the near future. Uh, but, but activity is trending in a short-term perspective upward and a long-term perspective, you know, benchmark to the last five years. Uh, it's, it's a downward trend. So, so if we look at the, this downward trend and think of, of reasons or key drivers that, that might increase production and increase uh, new drilling sites and increase you know just really oil and gas activity over the, the the short to medium term let's say one to three years what are some of the, the key drivers we should be looking for yeah you know there, there's two or three things that are going to be really important to track here and and they relate to the way investors will perceive the industry in in my mind uh, you know the first is price you know so much of this is price dependent uh, tide oil historically has sort of drilled through downturns because there's a lot of excess capital available that's not the case today uh, prices are looking good uh, at the moment you know we're, we're over sixty dollars today you know hopefully on the day this airs we're, we're still over sixty dollars uh, you need prices to cooperate uh, the second thing really that you need to see is progress on balance sheets you know there are hangovers from last decade and, and the big one today that it's holding shell back uh, in a lot of ways is the debt overhang and so over the next two to three years we need to see that middle chunk of operators not the elite but you know sort of the the, the base of title production uh, needs to get down, you know, we've drawn a line at about a 20% uh, gearing ratio. I think they need to get the arrow pointed in, in the right direction. At that point in time, 
you know, I think if you have higher prices, you have debt loads coming down and you start to see excess capital, then there's a decision to be made. And the decision is, if we have excess excess capital, do we give it back to shareholders? Do we keep buying back or do we, you know, in variable dividends have, have become a bit of a mini trend? Uh, or do we put that back into the oil field? You know, if, if you're asking my opinion, uh, I think in the short term you, you see money go back to shareholders. That what that does is that over time wins trust back, and, and that maybe opens up that door to putting money back to work in, in the oil field again. Do you think uh, because we, you know, the, the freight intel group here, uh, we uh, we published a DHL's PPI pricing power index and trucking. And and part of that is looking at some Bank of America information that's published on a weekly basis on credit card and debit card spending. And we keep an eagle eye out on that. Uh, if you look back in last September, September of 2020, you saw gasoline sales were still 20 percent below what they were uh, pre-pandemic levels. Right now, the, the, the most recent one in February I'm looking at right now is only about 5 percent down. And this has been trending up. Uh, closer to zero percent ever since that time. Do you think that that we'll need to uh, to really get back to normal activity when it comes to driving and commuting and uh, hopping on airplanes and resuming normal life to to really see a strength in strength in the industry and strength in increasing production with a purpose. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good question. And, you know, I, I'm certainly not a gasoline demand uh, expert. What, what I can tell you is is this, you know, shale does need prices to cooperate and prices will in the long run be a function of those fundamentals. And so uh, the demand side is as important and potentially as uncertain uh, as, it, as it's been in recent memory. Our view um, in a nutshell is that uh, as it relates to, to COVID-19 and the pandemic, the destruction to supply, right? So the investment that's taken out of the system, budget slashed by 40 plus percent, uh, has a longer term impact than the impacts to demand. You know, like you said, uh, you know, uh, down 5% trending, you know, trending upwards from down 20%. You know, it doesn't take a, you know, you can just look around. I can look out the window here. I can see the number of cars in the HEV parking lot. Like I said, I drove, you know, I did a 1,200-mile road trip over this weekend. The highways were, were packed. You know, I think that there is, you know, people want to feel mobile. Uh, folks have been, you know, at home for, for a long period of time. Travel is sort of one of those things that, that people want to get back to. So you know, our, our, our view is the impacts to supply are stickier than they are to demand. And so the read-through on that then is, is stronger fundamentals which could support uh, increased activity uh, in the shale patch in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you talked about supply a little bit earlier and and talking, you know, really about investment when it comes to supply and, and, and ringing out some of the excess or, or, or bad bets or bad capital in it. And the oil market's always reminded me of the trucking market, right? So uh, rates rise, everyone goes out and buys a truck. You flood the market with trucks where supply outstrips demand, and then you have tumbling prices, you have uh, bankruptcies, uh, dissolvements, uh, drivers go find uh, another another way to, to make a living. Sometimes it's the oil fields, a lot of times it's construction. And you know you have this balancing, and the, the oil market takes years to, to really string that out because it takes a long time to go out and, and find, you know, evaluate new properties, set up the drilling, 
uh, and hit production where in, in trucking it only takes a few months. So where are we at really in supply? And, you know, when it comes to the supply and where, where we go from here and then the oil markets, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, draw, drawing on your analogy from the truck market, um, you know, I would say that where we sit today is, you know, it's sort of the painful part of, of that cycle. You know, there, there's a lot of consolidation. If we think about domestically where things tend to move the quickest because shale is is shorter cycle uh, compared to international. And, and international saw investment, you know, cut for, for a number of years while prices were, were lower and we saw continued investment here. We're sort of, you know, we're on the flip side of, of that in my view, particularly as it relates to, to the shale patch. You're seeing consolidation and you're seeing a streamlining of, of oil producers uh, on short, which is sort of a fancy way of saying, you know, headcounts are going down. The, the, the cost side of the equation um, is being examined closely. So, so we're in the painful uh, part of that. When we emerge from that, what that means is we'll have fewer producers who will be more streamlined. And so that means that at a given price, they can either generate a higher return or produce more oil than what we have um, under our current set uh, of assumptions. It also probably means a little bit more stability from production on shore. You know, it, gone are the days of prices rising $10 a barrel and off to the races we grow it at, you know, at a million barrels a day. And I think what that does is it's a, it's a more stable contributor to global oil markets, um, but it's also, it, it helps the ancillary industries. And so when I say the ancillary industries, you know, I'm thinking of midstream, I'm thinking a lot of oil field services, uh, but it will have an impact on trucking as well. You know, you need, um, you know, you need a line of trucks that's five miles long to drill a single well, uh, you know, and end to end. You know, there's a big difference between 400 rigs and 200 rigs, and and we've we've done that a number of times, and we think it's more of a, a smoother runway uh, through this decade. Ben, when you look at uh, look at the new technologies that are coming into the oil patch, are there anything? Is there anything that's going to be revolutionary, like the the horizontal drilling that that we saw? What I don't know how long has it been now? 20, 30 years uh, when horizontal came in uh, to the picture. Is there anything out there that, uh, especially as we get these shell fields are now becoming more mature and oil is becoming harder to to, to, to drill and, and to produce, or at least theoretically, right? Um, are there any new technologies or techniques out there that might revolutionize the, the industry again? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you say 20, 30 years on the shale. Believe it or not, this week, the first shale well ever drilled in the Barnett Plague turned 40 years old. Now, it wasn't it wasn't refracted with a water frack until, um, in, I think, the late 90s. Uh, but, but, yeah, 40 years old. Uh, on the technology side, you know, so much of, of what the technology story has been over the last 10 years is finding a way to, from the same well, produce more oil. So, you know, increase productivity gains. Uh, we think largely, you know, the, the productivity gain story is behind us. And in fact, uh, we're seeing some of those trends reverse. So the technologies that are really more aimed at, at trying to stave off uh, those declines. So nothing major really in in the short term. You know, you'll want to keep an eye on what the majors are doing. Exxon had some big developments last year that, that tried some new things out. Some some wins, some losses uh, on that front. You know, I think longer term, 
you know, one of the things that we haven't touched on at, at, at all is, uh, you know, the, the pressure to clean up on, on the ESG front. And, you know, so much of the focus today is on, on the E and the environment. And you are seeing investments in technologies that, you know, are not cost competitive today on things like carbon capturing, you know, Occidental Petroleum, uh, you know, sort of leading the, the first large scale carbon capture technology, not cost competitive today, much in the same way that, that recovering hydrocarbons from Milladarcy Reservoirs 40 years ago sounded, you know, borderline crazy and insane at that point in time. So, you know, do we forecast that this stuff takes off? You know, these forecasted extendments long are, are notoriously, uh, you know, wide error bands. But if you want some things to put on your radar, you know, look at what Oxy and Exxon and, and some of these other companies are, are doing in the carbon space. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, thanks for mentioning that the carbon space and, and we haven't, uh, you know, we, we haven't covered the, the new administration yet and, and kind of what that means for oil and gas going forward. Uh, what are your thoughts and first impressions of the, the, the Biden administration? Yeah, you, you know, so we expected we expected change. You know, forecasting the extent of that change it was really going to be quite difficult. The first week on the job, there were sort of a trio of actions, executive actions. So the first was the cancellation of the border permit uh, for Keystone XL. Uh, we can discuss that if you like. You know, it's more of an impact for uh, for the operator. Uh, of of that pipeline, uh, we're still able to move the crude out of the Western Canadian uh, basin uh, to to where we need to get it today. The other two are are actions that, if they just expire, you would say it's a non-issue. Uh, but but I think the the key thing here is playing it forward, and so that's the the moratorium or the sixty day pause, I should say, on federal permits and in the review process on leasing new federal land, new federal land is not that big of an issue because most of what's good has been leased up, right? Uh, but not issuing new permits, um, you know, that that will certainly have planning units across the space sort of thinking about how do we navigate this? Do we, do we move all of our rigs onto federal units today in case we can't drill them tomorrow? Do, do we move them off because there are other regulatory hurdles headed our way in the near term? And so that's all split. What I can tell you is this, the impact of production and activity in the short term, so call it the remainder of the year, virtually non-existent. There are very, very few operators that don't have another place to operate. And it's very unlikely, really, that you could that you could halt operations on, on the spectrum today. By the end of the decade, you know, as we play these scenarios forward, you're looking at 5% of crude production, uh, which is not, in, you know, not insignificant, but it's certainly not a trajectory to killing the industry. It's the middle of the decade where you're looking at over a million barrels a day potentially of, of impact. Uh, but remember, there's another election in the middle of the decade uh, as well. And so, you know, playing it forward, it's really that 2023, 2024 timeframe where if these regulations become more severe, you could see material impacts to activity and production levels. As it stands today, not a lot of impact, but you know, uh, certainly the message very much has been that there, there's more to come. And, and so we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that. Thank you. The, the good, great insights on, on the administration and kind of what, what's happened so far and kind of the long-term impacts and, and also you know, what, what might happen short-term. 
uh, as well. We have about 90 seconds left in the, in the session uh, as we look forward in 2021. What is uh, what, what stokes your curiosity the, the most about the oil markets? Yeah, you know, to me, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, and it's, it's a more contentious question than people give it credit for is shale has always outperformed in terms of production and it's been able to do that through spending more money uh, maybe than it, than, it, than it should have. Q1 uh, earnings look better than we would have expected. It's sort of a, a perfect storm of, of elements. Um, now, it has to be seen, it's yet to be seen if the industry can continue to generate that type of cash flow. But I think what is, is ultimately going to be really interesting is, you know, our view is that this excess cash uh, pays down debt and, and is returned to shareholders. However, that's never been the case before. And, you know, this time it's different. It's sort of the phrase that makes more analysts uh, wrong than, than any other. So I, I think that's the key question uh, as to, you know, will, will we be wrong? Uh, you know, there are certainly a lot of people on the other side of this debate that say shale will be off to the races again. So I, I think really watching what happens with, with things like variable div dividends, uh, in the debt market, uh, really on the balance sheet side of things, that's where the binding constraint on shale sits today. Watching that behavior, um, you know, could usher in an entirely new era in terms of how this whole title machine functions. So, so it's really uh, follow the money, right? Look, look at the excess cash and how that's spent. If it's on new production or return to shareholders, that, that's what everyone should uh, everyone should pay attention to. That right. Uh, ab absolutely. It's, it's very tempting for West Texas executives. You know, the old, the old saying goes, if you give an oil man a dollar, he'll drill a well. Uh, and that has certainly been the case decade after decade after decade. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see if 2021, 2022 are, are the year that that changes. Thanks, Ben. And join us for our next fireside chat and energy day here at the Global Supply Chain Week.